This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. If this is your first episode, welcome. We're glad you're here. This is where we explore the innovators in agriculture, the farmers, founders, innovators, and investors, all shaping the future of the agriculture industry. Hey, we have a sponsor for today's episode. Would like to thank Indigo Ag for sponsoring this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. What if surviving a drought began with just a microbe? What if instead of 10 buyers, you could access 10,000? What if you were paid for the carbon your crops pulled from the air? And what if these what ifs weren't what ifs at all? At Indigo, they're working with farmers to question the entire agriculture system and reimagine everything from soil to sale. Yep, the whole lot. Visit indigoag.com slash questions to find out more. That's indigoag.com forward slash questions. Indigo, from questions we grow. Thanks, Indigo, for sponsoring the Future of Agriculture podcast. This episode today is one that I've really been looking forward to sharing with you. It's a fantastic company, I think, doing some really interesting things. It represents a lot of the aspects uh, of the future of agriculture we've spoke about on the show, everything from biology and, and biotechnology to soil health and soil science and predictive analytics and, and data for farmers to make better decisions. So it really merges several of those trends in a, in a really interesting way. We have on the show Dr. Pornima Paramaswaran. She's the president and co-founder of Trace Genomics. Trace Genomics essentially takes genetic information from the soil to provide actionable insights to farmers. And you may be thinking, soil, isn't that like, you know, a mineral? That doesn't have DNA. But what we're referring to, of course, is, is the genetic material from the microbes in the soil. In fact, in just one tablespoon of topsoil, there are billions of microbes. And then when you consider that each of the microbial cells has a ton of genetic information, we're talking terabytes bytes of info, of data from one tablespoon of soil and what they can do with that and, and what they can help a farmer do with that, I should say, is, is pretty amazing. She's got a PhD in microbiology from Stanford and has been working to deliver data that is uh, genomics enabled and actionable for consumers for quite some time. Her and her co-founder started Trace Genomics. Before we dive in, I do need to give a shout out to Dr. Jay Weeks. He was able to provide some fantastic questions from the perspective of a scientifically trained soil scientist. So Jay, really appreciate the questions and for you to tuning into the show. Here is my interview with Dr. Pornima Paramaswaran, and she's going to start off first by talking about the types of questions a farmer might have that would prompt them to submit a soil sample to be tested by Trace Genomics. Some of the questions we get from farmers include what is I'm making my planting schedule and I am making my list of inputs that I need to purchase for this coming growing season. What am I at risk for in my fields in terms of disease diseases and how does that impact the varieties I need to choose actually even before the varieties, what crops I need to plant, hmm. what varieties I need to choose do I have to budget for fungicides or seed coats? 
during when I'm putting in my order for my inputs? And do I want to budget also for some of these biologicals, these new age probiotics that are becoming available? Is there anything about my soil health that I can improve through the use of novel fertilizer blends or through biologicals or maybe through other management practices, for example, cover cropping, water management, which is, both of which are tied in also to disease risk management and soil health management. And so a farmer who typically comes in to do our testing is looking for a either a holistic way to help them manage the soil because this data has typically not been available to farmers historically or they're looking very specifically through the disease lens where they want to minimize and mitigate economic losses due to diseases that are lurking in their soil. And what might prompt them to to pay for a test like this? Obviously, those are important questions, but they're questions that they've sort of asked themselves for decades. What might prompt them to say, oh, finally, there, there's something that could do this because I don't want to go back to whatever the pain was? You know, what was the pain point they're experiencing them to want to pay for something like this to help them answer those questions? There are many pain points, and that those pain points depend on the crop that they're planting. For example, in lettuce, some of the diseases, the leafy greens, some of the diseases they, they want to stay one step ahead of include wilt. Fusarium wilt is a common one. Verticillium wilt is another one. Sclerotinia, et cetera. So there are a handful of diseases in leafy greens that cause devastating losses. It's present at high levels on their field before they go into plant. The other set of diseases, for example, in soybeans, sudden soybean death syndrome is a disease that we are very much in market and product development mode for. There are a couple of diseases in corn as well, especially if you're doing corn on corn that corn farmers want to stay one step ahead of. And and some of these diseases also overwinter, right, in crop residue, et cetera. And so it is important to be able to test presence of these microbes in the soil. For other crops like nuts, Phytophthora root rot, so for some perennials, really understanding what management plans need to be made for the following year, looking at the propensity or risk for root rot caused due to Phytophthora, also really has an impact on irrigation management, water management, fungicide management, et cetera. And then the other aspect of disease management is crop rotation. There are some diseases which, if you know you have on a large area of your field, our farmers will typically decide to not even plant crop that they were originally going to plant. So, for example, fusarium wilt, if there's high incidence of fusarium wilt, our farmers will decide to not plant lettuce or to not plant iceberg lettuce. They might go in and plant romaine or a different bridal, or they may decide to go in and plant in during cooler months when the risk of disease development is lower on those fields. Similarly, for Phytophthora root rot and nuts, they'll manage their irrigation schedule so they're not, so they're actually underwatering and stressing out the plant a little bit and budgeting for fungicides that are available on the market. For corn on corn diseases or for soy diseases, if the disease risk is really high, they may choose to plant corn versus soy or soy versus corn, depending on what those uh, 
economic implications are during that year for for their ROI, for their economic returns for that drawer. So at the end of the day, I would say these decisions that they're making have an ROI impact for them where they're trying to both optimize their input costs and management costs um, while gaining a yield boost or a productivity boost at the end of the season. And so that delta is what we're impacting for these growers in the near term. So for that particular growing season, longer term, we are unearthing for them issues on their fields that they should be managing through midterm or longer term practices like tillage, cover cropping, other soil health management practices. And so before, did they have any way of knowing for sure whether these pests and diseases had overwintered in their soil or they would just have to make conclusions based on, well, here's what I saw last year and here's what I've planted the last two years. So there's a chance it could be in there. And so you're, you're basically validating, you know, that information for them of, of what the risk factors are for that pest and diseases coming year. That's exactly right. It was all based off of historical information, scouting information, a lot of guesswork too. Some of the cases, too many cases, where farmers and their agronomists thought they had disease X, we have actually identified that it's actually not disease X, it's disease Y, or it's a soil health issue, not even a disease issue. Or it's a complex of diseases that you need to be managing. It's not just one particular disease. And so we're taking the guesswork out of farming in terms of planning around disease health and soil health, uh, around disease risk and soil health risks. And that is typically what has been very powerful in terms of driving adoption of this. Can you, can you explain a little bit more what you mean by it, it might be a soil health issue and not a disease, pest or disease issue? You know, what, what specifically are you looking at when you say soil health? What are the components there? There's two sides of the coin when you're looking at what is causing production losses above ground. Sometimes it's due to disease-causing organisms that are present in the soil that is decreasing yield. And other times it's because of a lack of soil functionality to support good, healthy crops and productive crops above ground. And so it's the yin and yang, right? It's two sides of the coin. It's very similar to, uh, to, to holistic management. It's not just about understanding what the disease risks are in your field for you to make these decisions around how to manage your crops and regain productivity, but it's also about understanding what functionalities are missing in your soil so you can go in and fix them to improve yield. And so all of these functionalities in the soil until our platform came out was pretty dark to farmers. There was a lot of work and there continues to be a lot of stellar work that is ongoing in academic institutions and in nonprofits, but that information is still not being supplied to the farmer at the farm gate in a manner that allows them to make decisions for that growing season. And so our goal and our mission is essentially to make this information actionable for farmers at the farm gate farmers and their partners, agronomists at the farm gate. So they are coming up with the right management plans based on this data. And so that's where a lot of innovation is happening, at least in terms of where we fit in to the landscape. And in the process, 
we are digitizing the soil samples, but we're also creating a common platform on which folks across the value chain can come in and play. And what I mean by that is everyone across this data in the soil is, is, is essential for farmers to make decisions, for agronomists to make the right management decisions for their farmers, for manufacturers of inputs to test their inputs in field trials, to identify how their in, whether their inputs are having the desired effect on diseases and soil health, for retailers to be able to move these products to the right geographies and to the right acres where they're needed the most, for food companies to be able to ground truth where their food came from, for example. Is, was this grown in a land that was responsibly managed? What does that look like for consumers? And are we all managing, managing, developing management plans to produce food in a responsible, sustainable manner that's not just thinking about increasing yields for this year, but also thinking about moving the needle in the right direction for generations to come in terms of farming from those same acres. And how do you make sure that, that that data can be beneficial to all those stakeholders while still, you know, maintaining the integrity of, of the farmer, you know, who, who may or may not want their data shared with anyone else? How do you handle that part? So the farmer, we're laser focused on delivering value to the farmer at the farm gate. And when I say farmer, it's a farmer agronomist because typically they're making decisions together for the farm. And the farmer who sends in the soil sample owns the data. What I was trying to say earlier is that this platform, so if a food company has a direct relationship with a farmer, then they'll need to request that information from the farmer that they're sourcing from. The farmer owns all, all the data that they're submitting to us, as well as you know the soil that the farmer Farms on is obviously being managed and owned by the farmer and the data that we provide to the farmer, the farmer's paying for, the reports are also owned by the farmer and the farmer has the license to share. Great. If you don't mind, give us a little bit of a, a peek into, into your lab. What happens? So, so a farmer or an agronomist would take these samples from their field. How many samples are, are you requesting that they take? And what's it look like? It arrives to you probably in like a you know, UPS box. And then what happens? Sure. So we plug and play into existing sampling methods that farmers have. So they're sampling on a five-acre grid resolution we plug into that sampling resolution for them and so typically you know they have x number of acres or x number of fields so they want to enroll into this platform we make a grid-based or a zone-based sampling plan for them or we just plug and play to their existing sampling plans and we send out kits to them to them and their agronomists or their sampling partners. So as they're pulling samples, they put them into our barcoded tubes and send them into our labs. And once the barcoded tubes arrive at our labs, we essentially have a proprietary process by which we extract the genetic material from soil samples, convert it into a format that can be digitized using machines that read the DNA in samples. And once digitized, we are essentially creating, when I say digitized, from every soil sample, we create millions of data points. And that allows, that it's a lot of information, right? And so we have 
infrastructure in-house that ingests that information, has software, uh, spins up software pipelines that analyze that information. And all of this happens in the cloud, is easily parallelizable. So whether it's 10 samples, 1,000 samples, it all happens within a matter of minutes. And the software platforms are able to generate reports for our customers. And these reports become available via our web dashboard to our customers. Hmm. And these reports are typically crop specific. So if a farmer is farming lettuce, obviously very different set of disease indicators and health indicators than a farmer who's farming soybean or corn. And so how do you decide which of those microbes are important? And I've heard, you know, that we actually know very little, maybe, you know, a very small percentage of those microbes we can even culture. Is that true? And kind of how do you decide which ones to test? So our technology captures DNA in a very agnostic manner. And what I mean by that is if there's DNA in the soil sample, we capture it using our genetic test. We're not screening for a particular class or category or category of microbes in terms of capturing that information. Uh, Once we digitize the DNA content of the soil sample, that's where we come in with algorithms to help us identify and quantify who's there in the soil and what their functionality is. And you're absolutely right in that very few of the microbes in soil, we, as you know, in terms of frontiers of science and where it stands, a lot of folks throw out the number 1%, 10% of microbes in soil. So somewhere in there, 1% to 10% is what we know are, um, uh, that's really where the boundaries of our knowledge lie. But even within that 1% to 10%, there is a lot of information that is already actionable for our farmers. And so that's where, you know, Trace focuses, I would say, immediate term, short term, we really focus on microbes in the soil that farmers already know are bad for their crop. There are microbes in the soil that cause devastating diseases in plants. And a lot of these microbes, we already know their identities. And so part of our software actually queries and screens the digitized DNA profile for signatures that are from these microorganisms that cause devastating disease losses above ground. There are other microorganisms that we know are important for plant health. For example, rhizobia. Everyone hears about rhizobia. They are nitrogen fixers in the soil that form very close association with roots to make nitrogen available to plants. And these are organisms that we have been studying. We know are present in the soil. We can identify them and quantitate them. So that's another category of microbes, microbes that make fertilizers or microbes that make nutrients available to plants that are beneficial for the plants that we already know as a scientific community exist in soil and we can quantify those using our tests and using our algorithms. The third class is really around functionalities of microbes in the soil. Microbes have genes in their DNA that perform very specific functions. So even if you can't identify the microorganism, you can still learn a lot in terms of what function they are delivering to that farm, to that farm soil, to those plants in that farm soil. 
just through querying their genes. And that's something that we do really well as, as well, which is we look at the DNA content, the digitized profile, look for very specific functionalities that are associated with disease or soil health and identify and quantitate those. So even though we don't know who they came from, we're still able to deliver a lot of value in terms of quantification of functionality. The last piece is, you know, that 90 to 99% of microorganisms in the soil that are unknown. That's where we see a tremendous amount of opportunity to really help push the learning curve together as a community, where our platform can really enable the community, both academics as well as farmers, as well as industry players across the entire value chain, whether it's at the farm gate or food companies, really come together, use this platform to help discover more of the unknowns around soil. Interesting. And, and so was that a challenge for you? You know, your PhD in microbiology uh, worked in genomics for a long time. And I think your co-founder, the same thing. I think you two met at Stanford, if I if I read that correctly. And it, it was it a challenge for you on the the sort of actionable insights aspect of like, okay, we, we know our technology works. And how do we put it together in a format that's actually going to be a farmer's going to use? So we spent many years and we continue to spend as much time as possible out in the field, talking to customers, talking to our growers, and also building out an agronomy component of our team. We have several agronomists on staff, including folks who have PhDs in agronomy. And our sales and marketing team, very much embedded in ag and ag tech. And so are our product teams too, for that matter. And that's really the living beating heart of Trace is for us to be able to deliver this innovative technology at the farm gate. We have built a team that is comprised of microbiologists, data scientists, of software engineers, and also of agronomists and business folks who are representative of agriculture. Both Diane and I, when we started this company, even before we started this company in 2013, 2014, we would make trips multiple times a week to Salinas, which is the leafy greens bowl of the U.S., to Napa and Sonoma, where there's a lot of grape growers, and be out in the field talking to our growers, pulling samples, really going through that process ourselves to help us better understand what are the challenges that are top of mind for growers. So we are solving those challenges and not solving or delivering solutions that are nice to have, but rather delivering solutions that are must have top of mind for growers. And we have continued that. I mean, I was out in the field as it was last week. Yeah, last week. So, and I'm continuing to make these trips out to Illinois, Iowa, et cetera, to be in touch with our farmer partners out there, as well as here in California as well. And so that is really, really important for us, that voice of the customer and making sure that everything that we're building is solving an agronomic problem for our customers. 
You've mentioned leafy greens. I know you mentioned soybeans. I know this works on a variety of different crops, but you just mentioned wine grapes and that got me wondering. So permanent crops like that, I understand with an annual crop, if you're testing before you plant or even before you buy seed, you know, you, you can really adjust. But if you're planting an, an orchard or, 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 I mean, but if you have an established orchard or vineyard, what action steps can you take based on this data? A lot of it is around management plans for that particular season and moving forward. So typically for vineyards or for nuts, orchards, et cetera, they see differences in production across different fields or even within the same field. And so for them, helping them understand what are those causes of differential productivity, what factors need to be managed to help them improve those differential production zones to make them more equanimous, uh, for example, and how that ties in with irrigation schedules. As I mentioned before, there's a very deep connection between how much you irrigate and management of disease risk and also management of compaction in the soil. All of these indicators we surface via our web platform. There's also an increased interest in the use of biological, which are essentially probiotics for the soil. And until our platform came about, there's almost no way that you could identify which acres needed which biological. And so enabling our customers, even for these permanent crops, to come up with a more holistic management plan that includes water. In some cases, it also involves labor. We have a really nice case study on our website that talks about how one of our growers also was able to optimize labor towards fields that needed them the most using our test, which is, you know, a value proposition that is very much highly coveted, especially given the cost of labor in agriculture, especially in some of these high-touch, high-value crops. And so uh, while there are very clearly beachhead value propositions around disease management, our farmers are starting to use our platform in a multitude of ways that are creating that's creating value for them across their helping them to optimize dollars across a lot of different line items mm-hmm. for them. Interesting. And how much can a sample vary within the same field? I would think that the that the genomics of the microbiology in the soil would be different if it's close to the roots or or if it was close to the roots of a crop in the previous year versus if it's not close to the roots or even, you know, based on wet areas versus dry areas. So how much can it vary and how do you sort of reconcile that into actionable, you know, what a farmer can do about it if it if you get a lot of variability within the same field? So we have sampling guidelines for our customers. So typically we say don't sample when the soil is wet. <laughs> Let it dry out. And we also have sampling guidelines by crop for depth of sampling as well as for area of sampling and resolution. And that allows to standardize in a certain to a certain extent the types of samples that come in through the door. And we also ask for supporting information about these samples that allows us to capture how and when they sampled. And that allows us to standardize how we are providing information back. And this is true of most, I would say, platforms that rely on incoming samples. You try as much as possible to standardize the time of sampling, the manner in which samples are pulled, whether it's soil or whether it's human specimens, it's the same, you know, it's the same process 
our framework that you put in place and essentially communicate to our customers that for us to be able to deliver value to you year on year, let's just make sure that the same sampling design is being followed year on year to ensure consistency. And to your point about variability, absolutely. Like that's one of the main reasons why our customers sample or send us multiple samples across the field because you want to be able to capture that variability. There'll be some areas of your field that are hot for disease. There are others that'll be cool for disease. And as a farmer, as an agronomist, you want to be able to identify which areas are hot versus which areas are cool or whether there's even variability to begin with. Some fields are relatively non-variable, others are more variable, and you want to be able to capture that in terms of the management practice or management plan that you're making. And so that's actually part of the reason why our customers sample on a five to 10 acre resolution, as opposed to just sending us one sample per field. When you and your co-founder, Diane, were, were first kind of formulating this, what, you know, in the customer discovery process, you know, what, what really validated to you that this would work? It's that aha moment where, you know, I still remember this happened before we launched our test of the market, this was 2015, early 2016. We were working with a couple of early adapter growers in specialty and we had captured samples from high and low disease areas. We ran it through our entire process, sat down with the grower, and were able to correctly identify which areas were high disease and which areas were low disease. And that was the aha moment for us, that we ran these samples. These are real-life in-field samples through our entire pipeline. And all the way from sampling design to the way in which we extract the samples, to the way in which we digitize the samples, to the way in which we interpret the samples, to the way in which we are spitting out reports for these samples, to the entire process, we were able to capture the areas that were hot for disease accurately. And so that was really the aha moment for us and for us to be able to hear directly from the grower that, yeah, you're right, that was the area with high disease and that was the area with low disease. Or yes, the, my soil in those fields are and guess what? I had to apply extra nitrogen, and you told me that you, that field was low in uh, nit or was really high in nitrifiers or nit denitrifiers. Essentially, telling me that I'm losing a lot of nitrogen on that field, so I need to add more in the short term to recover the lost nitrogen. For example, these are all aha moments that happen with our customers almost on a weekly basis. Like every time we are sending out reports to our customers, there are a lot of aha moments that we capture. Hmm. And that gives us, you know, that tells us that we're doing something right. <laughs> and that's really what drives our technology forward is that, you know, we are hearing directly from our customers out in the field all the way back from before we even launched our uh, product to the market to today where we hear from customers on a daily, weekly basis that what we're telling them makes sense in terms of why they're seeing losses in productivity or maybe it jogs up a memory of, oh yeah, like two years ago, I tried this and it seemed to improve and now it makes sense. Like you're giving me a scientifically validated answer to why, you know, all these things I was trying out, I could never validate which worked and which didn't. And now there's a tool for me to validate that. 
Have you been able to to scale that feedback loop? You know, I would think that would, would be tremendously important here because these 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 producers are getting data they've never had before. And so likely they can act upon the data in ways that that none of us have ever really thought of. And so I imagine part of, you know, part of this is trying to understand how do we use this new data, you know, optimize how we use this new data. Are you are you either collecting, you know, kind of some context with a sample as far as what was this planted in, or what conditions did you sample in, et cetera? And then also, are you somehow sort of able to, to, to ground truth the results that you're getting in, in a feedback loop? And how does all that work? Because that sounds complicated. It is complicated, and it's something that, you know, obviously as a startup, we are evolving over time as we scale as well. And we are, I would say that it's an ongoing initiative at the company to be better at closing that feedback loop. And we have several key members of our team very much involved in that initiative. And we are already collecting some standardized information about the soil samples. But as we interact with the customers, as we're continuing to create additional value out in the field, that's when we need to go back, tweak, and add more information. And so I would say a lot of this is the process of discovery. Um, As we are learning that we're creating a lot more value out in the field, how do we capture the additional value that we're creating and how do we standardize the input information from our customers even before they submit samples to us? Nice. Well, before this interview, I was able to get some questions from a listener to the podcast, Dr. Jay Weeks. He's a postdoc, soil scientist at K-State. And you actually answered most of, of his questions throughout this conversation so far. But one I thought was really interesting, and maybe you can speak to a little bit, is is he asked, how do you reconcile the difference between gene presence, which you're looking for, and, and gene expression? So kind of phenotype versus genotype. Yeah, so some of the, a lot of what we do at Trace is more on looking at fingerprints of DNA, and we do a lot of validation around how the genetic signatures and the profiles that we're capturing through our test, how does that track with productivity? How does that track with disease risk? And so we're ground truthing a lot of our indicators via field sample collection and building models based off of that and validating those models. And so my answer to that would be that there are multiple ways to validate whether models that are being produced from genomics information are actionable for farmers or can be actionable for farmers there are ways in which you can do it through phenotypes, you can do it through you can do it through genotypes, and we are essentially focused on the digital information from DNA, and we do a lot of validation around it to make sure that it's tied in with outcomes, the, the phenotypes that are being seen above ground. Why don't you have more competitors? What's what's the hard part about this that that is is creating sort of a natural moat for you? There are companies that are starting to enter the landscape and I welcome competitive competition in the landscape. A lot of it was, I would say, the sentiment that the soil microbiome is really hard to crack from a technological standpoint. And only recently has technology arrived at a point where it's deployable at scale. The genomic, for example, the genomic aspect of this technology the costs are reducing year on year and making it a lot more affordable for this technology to be applied to 
to a sector like agriculture and food. Even five years ago, I would say that the technology was still very expensive for it to be, well, five, six years ago. It was still too expensive to be applied to a sector like food and ag. And just in the last five years or so, the dollars per sample for sequencing has fallen tremendously. And that's allowed for us to be able to take it and deploy it at scale for food and ag. The other part of technology is around scalable infrastructure for analyzing data within a matter of minutes or hours as opposed to months and years. And a lot of that has to do with innovation in the cloud, uh, cloud cloud-based infrastructure, et cetera, that's also become a lot more accessible in the last decade or so. And so I think, you know, combination of that, of access to both genomics as well as the scalable cloud cloud-based infrastructures for data analytics has definitely fueled innovation in this space. And the other thought there too is there is a lot that can be done in this space that there's plenty of room for other players to enter and to to bring in competition into this landscape. Yeah, and that that takes me back to something you said earlier about, hey, you know, we're looking at maybe 1% right now and we've got the other 99%. So reasons to be bullish about new discoveries in this field. Is there any specific problem from a producer's standpoint that you think could be solved through through your process in the future that you're sort of excited to to tackle someday when 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 you can? I would say that it comes back to the mission of Trace. So the way that I see it is it's a pie chart almost, or it's like a, it's like a universe of possibilities, right? The mission is really how can we use or enable data to help our customers, our farmers, their agronomists, make the best possible decisions around growing or maximizing production from that acre of land that they're farming on. That is the big goal, the big mission of Trace. And we start out with impacting decisions around a small fraction of inputs today, but the goal is to be able to impact over 80% of decisions that they make on their field. And so that is what I think success looks like for Trace, and that's what I'm really excited about in terms of us being able to more holistically plug and play into impacting the majority, the overwhelming majority of decisions that happen at the farm gate in terms of farm management. Great. I think that's a fantastic place to to close out the interview. Dr. Pornima Paramaswaran, thank you so much for being on the Future of Agriculture podcast. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on. It is so cool to think about how much we know today that maybe we didn't know a few years ago and the fact that we're just sort of at the tip of the iceberg that maybe we can evaluate 1% of the genetic material that's in the soil. And as we find that other 99%, what might be possible for the future of agriculture? Love that episode. I hope you did too. Special thanks to Caroline Curry and Pat Dunstorf for helping to facilitate the intro to our guest here today. And thank all of you for listening. I really appreciate your time your attention, your intellectual curiosity, your entrepreneurialism uh, keeps me driving to continue to find out what's next for the future of agriculture. We'll be back next week with another exciting ag innovator. 
Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week. Thank you.